Thank you for, for being here, and we're, we're so glad you're here today as we continue in our series called Identity, where we're looking through into the New Testament at certain things that are true of us, not because of any talent we possess, any good things we've done, but things that are true of each and every one of us here tonight, just because we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And since we're a follower of Jesus Christ, that does more than just change our eternal destiny. It changes how we see ourselves and who we are now, today, and in this world right now. Well, have you ever met someone where you've asked them what they do for a living and they explain it to you and you're still confused? And then you kind of ask one clarifying question and you're still confused. Then you just start to nod and go, okay. And you start to talk about something else because you don't want to look silly. I think we all assume that what we do for an occupation is obvious. And I've assumed this. And then I've had people who have come and have asked me what I do. And I say, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they say, well, what does that mean? What do you do? I said, well, I mean, I, I, I help prepare things, I preach, I go to meetings, I help plan services, I meet with people, and they look at me and they go, okay, but like, what do you do with the rest of your time at the week? And I'm like, I just described like 50 hours worth of work. Like, what, what, what else do you want to know what I do with my week? I mean, I, okay. But there's sometimes confusion about what people do. And here in Chicago, as most of you know, we're, we come from a very Catholic heritage city. A lot of the people in Chicago and maybe a lot of us today have Catholic heritage in our family. And so oftentimes in the city, when I interact with people and I tell them that I'm a pastor, they interact and say, oh, okay, so what priest, uh, you're a priest, so what parish are you at? And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not quite like that. And they'll be like, well, I'm married. And they're like, wait, you're married? You're, you're allowed to be a priest and to be married. Well, I'm not, I'm not that kind of priest. I'm, I'm a pastor, you see. And, and there, there's confusion over what that term means. And so for us today, as we open God's word and we see that it's not a priest is not just someone off at a church somewhere, but a priesthood is actually given to each and every one of us, it can be confusing, right? Because if you went to work or to school tomorrow and told everyone, hey, did you know I'm a priest? They look at you and be like, no, you're not. No, you don't have the collar on. You, you don't, you're not the priest. Tell me, I, I know this. But according to God's word, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of the royal priesthood of God. Tonight we're going to be looking at a few different passages. The, the main one is in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I believe several of the texts are printed in your bulletin tonight as well. And as we think about what it means to be a priesthood, well, I want us to start because this image that we see in the New Testament has such a rich heritage and such, such connection back to the Old Testament. In fact, the word priest occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament of Scripture. 700 times. It was an important position to be part of the priesthood. It was, if you were the high priest, you was possibly one of the most influential people in the entire nation next to the king himself. The, the priests in the Old Testament were those who were from the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron. And we see this instituted and so much of the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, is given to the regulations and the procedures of what priests were to do. Priests did many different things in the Old Testament. 
They assisted in offering sacrifices for the people at either the tabernacle or then later in the Old Testament at the temple. They had other functions that they did around the tabernacle and the temple to keep it running each and every day. They had an important role of teaching people who God is. One of the main roles of the priest is actually to teach the children of the next generation what God had done. But overall, the, their idea was in the Old Testament that they were to assist Israel in worshiping God rightly. That it was the priest's role to make sure the people around them and them themselves were worshiping God in the right way. And so it's quite surprising then with this task that was so exclusive, just not just to a certain tribe of Israel, but to a family within that tribe, that in the New Testament, this idea of a priesthood is now applied to each and every one of us. And so it says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4, it says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And as we think tonight about what it means to be a royal priesthood, we're going to look at three responsibilities that we have now as the royal priesthood that God has proclaimed you and I to be if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Three responsibilities that would have been given to the Old Testament priests that now are true of us because in Jesus we have been now made a part of this priesthood. The first responsibility is that our responsibility of interceding before God. The priest was one who would intercede before God on behalf of themselves and on behalf of other people. If you're newer to church, intercession or interceding is just a fancier way of saying prayed. They prayed to God on behalf of others. They went in between God and the people on behalf of others. And, and carrying on this, this imagery of the priest in the New Testament, often in the book of Hebrews, contains the large majority of references to the priesthood in the New Testament. And it talks there about how Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled the duties and was the perfect high priest for us. See, within the priesthood of the Old Testament, there was a high priest. And that high priest, on what was called the Day of Atonement, once a year went into the most sacred place into the holy of holies and offered sacrifices and interceded for the people before God. But it was such a thing that only the high priest only got to go one specific day a year. It was a high privilege and honor for him. But in the book of Hebrews, it says this. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 22 say this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That God has opened the way so that you and I could go into that most holy place. We could meet with God himself anytime we want. 
Not on just some special day of the year. We don't have to do anything special for us. But simply this, if our hearts have been cleansed by Jesus Christ, if you've been given this new identity as a follower of Jesus, what what the author of Hebrews is saying is the Holy of Holies, the presence of God himself is wide open to each and every one of us. It's from this idea that the reformers of 500 years ago came up with this idea that was so lacking in their day, this term called the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. And they weren't trying to say that pastors or priests or church leaders had no authority or that every single person who goes to church is actually the person who runs the church. That's not what they were saying. But in their time, there was an abuse of the clergy, an abuse of the church that they would hold this power and say, it's only us can come to God on your behalf. And they would hold this over people. And the reformers looked at God's word and they looked at passages like this in Hebrews and said, no, we've all been made a priesthood. And because of Jesus Christ, each of us can come to God just as we are. We have special access before the throne of God the Father for no other reason than Jesus has made the way for us. Have you ever been granted special access somewhere that you didn't really feel like you belonged? I remember uh, most of the time that I go to sports games. That's one of the, the big reasons that I think I love Chicago is there's lots of sports activities. Now, when I go to sports games, either at the United Center or at Wrigley or wherever it is, I sit normally in a section that I think the technical term for it is the nosebleeds. I think that's anyone else sit in the nosebleeds a lot when they go to games. All right, only one person's willing to admit it. The rest of you, you sit there. We all know it, all right? So we sit there and we look down at the people close who are envious. And then if you ever like walk through and you've maybe gotten lost and you walk through this alley and there's like these special boxes with like buffets of food walking by and the aroma is sneaking out as you're walking past and you're like, wow, imagine getting to go sit in there. Well, last year, someone actually gifted a few things to us and my wife and I got to go to a Chicago Bulls game in one of those special sections. I think the face value of each ticket was $500. I'm like, yeah, this is why I don't normally sit in this place. And as you walked in, they, they checked your ticket and I'm like, is this actually gonna work? Like you, you go up this like special elevator. I'm like, I've never taken an elevator at the United Center before. You go in this elevator, you walk out, there's a person all dressed up and they escort you to a counter where this person scans your ticket and then they give you a wristband. And then they bring you into this beautiful seated area and there's buffets of food. Not like just nachos, but like prime rib and fish and like some of the best food you could ever have. And, and I go and I sit down and they go, you can have anything you want as long as you have the wristband. Now, for the first few minutes, I was sitting there and I'm like, really? Like, it seems too good to be true that I could just go and, and have anything. And, and I could go and I was kind of, I was withdrawn and I wasn't quite sure. But then I did it a little bit and I was like, you know what? This is actually true. And all it took was that special wristband and I could walk around like I own the place. Like I could just eat this food and take this food and whatever I wanted. I had full confidence that wherever I went, I could be there because I had been granted access. See, sometimes it seems too good to be true 
that we could come to God the Father with anything. Like, really? God wants to know what's going on in my life? He would care enough about me, and it's easy sometimes for us as, as just creatures and to see how sinful we are to be a little timid to approach God. To like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pray about some things, but like, I don't want to inconvenience God. I, I, I don't want to take him stuff that will kind of distract him. I, I'm just going to be timid. But because God has granted us access, one of the amazing things of interceding with God is that we can approach God with confidence. Don't miss it. It said there in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is a simple story. It's two blind men They hear Jesus is walking by. They cry out, Jesus, is that you? And his response is amazing. He says, yes. And he says, what can I do for you? Jesus stops and looks at these men and says, what can I do for you? His heart towards us is open. He wants to help us in our need that we would receive mercy and find grace with whatever we are going through tonight. So the question for each of us tonight is what do you need from God tonight? What do you need from God tonight? Do you need some patience? Do you need wisdom? Do you need energy? Do you need rest? What do you need from God tonight? Because if you're a child of God, you can approach the throne of God with full confidence, knowing that he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants to meet your needs. Now, I'm going to do something right now that every seminary professor I ever had would say, don't do this. But I'm going to just pause right here for a few seconds, and I want us to pray. What do you need from God? We're not going to do this at the end, but right now, what do you need from God right now at 535 on a Sunday night here? What do you need from God? Just take a few moments right now, right here, and pour out your heart. What do you need from God? God, we confess tonight that our needs are great, and we thank you that your mercy and grace is always sufficient for us. As we've approached your throne with confidence like you've told us we can because of Jesus, may we find that you will meet us in our great need. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The second responsibility that we have as the priesthood of God now, the second responsibility that we have is to be a witness to the world. To be a witness to the world. See, when it talks about the kind of priesthood that we are to be, notice there that it often uses the word holy before it. And this isn't just an accident. This actually refers back to the nation of Israel and God's call on them. Now, remember I said that Israel was a nation, but out of them were certain castes, just the, the, the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron who could be priests and function as priests. But yet in the midst of that, there's this statement as well in Exodus chapter 19. It says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That Israel was to be set apart, they were to be pure, they were to be clean for the world to look at and see. It wasn't to be there to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests that they would look at the world and say, man, you aren't near as good as we are. But that their lives would be so radically different that the world would see them and be drawn to the love of God that they had seen in their lives. It was a witness to the world that they were supposed to have. See, it's actually this idea of a priesthood for others to see, to be set apart, fulfills this idea that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, who was the father of the nation of Israel, where it says this, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing to others. When we realize the privilege it is to be a part of the family of God, to be a royal priesthood, we'll realize that this calling on our lives is to be a witness to the world around us. He wants your holiness, your purity, not to be set apart so that you can look so much better than others, but so that you can point other people to Jesus Christ because of what he's done in your life. So how was Israel, and then how are we, to be set apart as a witness to the world because we've received this blessing. How is Israel then, how are we then to be set apart, to be a witness to the world? The first way that we can be a witness to the world is through our example of our lives. Through the example, the goodness of the life of each and every Christian. This is a consistent theme throughout all of Scripture and even throughout the New Testament as God looks at how you and I as followers of Jesus should live our lives. It says this in Titus chapter 3 verse 8. This saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to, and if you were to guess oftentimes it would be devote themselves to prayer, Devote themselves to the reading of God's word. Devote themselves to Jesus. But what does he say? Devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. See, the Bible talks about how the goodness of our lives is to bring others to Jesus. Jesus himself said this when he said that you should let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. Peter thinks of this in the book of 1 Peter, where he says, To keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And he goes and he shows all the different ways that we are to have the witness in the world. Interesting enough for Peter, the place he starts is politics. I think tonight we could start and end there. The witness to the world that we should have in how we interact and engage with others in those areas. Then he talks about family relationships. He talks about work. He talks about our lives amongst people who hate us. He talks about our response in persecution. But Peter's point is this, is that when people look at you and they want to badmouth Christians, they should say, yeah, I don't want to like that person. I, I don't want to believe what they believe, but man, I love how they live their lives. Like their life is so full of good deeds before God that people would want to bash Christianity, but when they look at your life, they're drawn to God because of the goodness of our lives. Israel was also called as a royal priesthood to proclaim the truth of God to the world. To proclaim the truth of God to the world. It wasn't just an example, but it was the way that they lived their lives and how they proclaimed what God had done for them. As the book of Romans says, how will people hear about Jesus unless people go? How will they hear unless it's you and I, the people who've been set apart as a holy priesthood to follow after God, go and declare Jesus to others? See, it's interesting because we sometimes can think in our world that this can be so difficult and it's so terrifying. But did you know that most research, including lots of new studies, have shown that when you go and approach irreligious, non-church-going people and talk to them about spiritual things, the very large majority want to talk to you about it. They actually want to talk. They're spiritually thirsty. They're interested in what it means. The large majority of people actually want to know what you believe and why you believe it and what difference that makes in your life. And sometimes we buy into this lie that we tell ourselves like, well, if I, if I try and have a conversation with my coworker, that's guaranteed to go bad, so I'm not even going to try. And we excuse ourselves out of our God-given responsibility, out of fear of how things may go, when in reality, people are thirsty in our world because they're lost without Jesus. Israel was to be an example, and so are we. They were to proclaim the truth as well as we are. The last thing was they were to intercede for the world. Israel was called as a holy priesthood to intercede for the nations. See, this privilege of coming to God wasn't a self-serving thing. Like, all right, you have access to God. Now you can just come to God and get everything you need because it's all about you and what you can come before God to do. But no, it was something that they were to take to then pray for the people around them who were lost and apart from Jesus Christ. Are we being faithful as a royal priesthood in this area of our lives? In praying for the people around us who don't know Jesus? I love the question that, that I try to remind myself. That if God said yes to everything I prayed today, would it actually make an eternal difference in this world or would it just change some of my circumstances? Because sometimes it just changes a little bit of our lives, but we don't have a vision for what God wants to do in the world. And to be a priesthood set apart for God means our vision of what God wants to do in the world is beyond our lives. And our eyes start to open more to see God's love 
for the people around us. To see God's love for the hurting and the needy. And that we intercede for God on their behalf. As a royal priesthood, that's a privilege that we're given to intercede for those who are lost, to bring them to Jesus. The third responsibility that we get as a priesthood of God is that we get the worship of Jesus. We have the responsibility to worship Jesus together. It says this in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That you may, I love that phrase, that you may proclaim the excellencies. This idea is that when you are so enamored with who God is, what Jesus has done for you, when you catch a vision, some, some translations say, for his mighty acts, when you see what he's done and you truly start to grasp it, it will naturally overflow out of your life in worship to others. No one should have to convince us to worship Jesus. It should just be the result of the awe of what God has done for us. See, we don't have the things, excuse me, the things that you think are amazing, no one has to convince you to talk about it, right? If you think something's amazing, you don't have to be convinced. You're going to talk about it whether people want to or not. See, I realized a few years ago, I didn't realize this at the time, I realized a few years ago that I grew up very spoiled, I grew up very spoiled. Now, I, it wasn't like my family had a ton of money or something like that. But I, my favorite sports team was the Los Angeles Lakers because that's God's favorite team. So that should be your favorite team too. I'm from Southern California. I'm a huge basketball fan. I didn't realize at the time how spoiled I was because when I was in junior high and high school, basically every single year, the Lakers either won the championship or they almost won the championship. I would have been the most annoying high schooler ever because I went around and I proclaimed the excellencies of my Los Angeles Lakers to whoever would listen to me. I didn't have to be told to talk about it. I just always wanted to tell people how great I think I thought they were. And then my senior year, 2004, my senior year of high school, the Lakers played the Pistons in the finals and I lived in Michigan at the time and the Lakers got whooped. And the last game, I'll never remember, I had to sit and watch the game by our phone. That's back if you're under 20. We used to have phones. They were like connected to the wall, all right, that you didn't take them everywhere. So, so it was like one of those old school phones. That's what we had. Because my friends in Michigan would constantly call me all night long harassing me because they were proclaiming the excellencies of the Pistons over my Lakers. I didn't have to tell them to, but they loved to talk about it because they were winning. See, a worship of God is an overflow of our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. We shouldn't have to be told to worship. It should just overflow because we are amazed and awed at how great God is and what he's done for us. I love this definition of worship, what it means that we are to worship Jesus. One pastor says this, worship is the joyful response of all that we are in adoration, celebration, and enjoyment of all that God is. It's a joyful response, not just of singing, 
yes, that's worship, but of all that we are and all that we live our lives in adoration, celebration, and enjoyment of all that God is. See, the reality is each and every one of us as humans, we were made to worship something. Each of us were made to worship. And so the question is not if we worship something. The question is what do we worship? What do we worship? I came across this this quote this week from a, a famous author, David Foster Wallace, who by no means is a Christian or a Christian writer, but he summed this up so well. He says this, this was at a graduation speech. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only thing we chose, the only choice, excuse me, is what we get to worship. Then he replies this, an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God, and he lists some options, is that pretty much anything else you worship in your life, this is his words, will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before you ever go underground. Worship power and you will feel weak and afraid and you will need even more power over those to keep this fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart. You will wind up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. See, whatever we are, we are worshipers at our hearts. And all of us tonight are worshiping something. And the question is, as a royal priesthood, as people that God has set apart, are our hearts properly designed and and augmented to worship God? Or is it to worship something else? See, in the book of Romans, Paul puts it one way. You either worship the creator and are conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, or you worship some created being. See, we think of idol worship in the Old Testament and in scripture times. And we're like, man, I I don't worship idols. There's no stuff in my house that I bow down to. There's no graven images. But I love that the reformer John Calvin put it this way. He says, our hearts are idol factories. We are constantly building idols in our lives. Idols are things that we find our significance and our worth and our value in. And each of us worship something. It's either God and his son or it's something of this world. For a lot of us, sometimes it's ourselves. That we're involved in self-worship. And this is so important for us because ultimately, we become the things that we worship. I love that. That's a scholar who who wrote that book and that was his title of idolatry and worship in the scripture. The title of his book was simply that we become what we worship. And he pointed out that there is no coasting in neutral in life. You're either worshiping God or worshiping something else. There's not a third option. So as the royal priesthood set apart before God to make much of Jesus in this world tonight, are you finding your life focused on the worship of God or is it something else? Because as those who have been called and set apart by God to be a royal priesthood, 
We get to intercede before God. We get to represent God to the world so that they could see him. But most importantly for each and every one of us, that our hearts would be aligned to worship God, not the things of this world. What is your heart's deepest desire? Because that's what shows you worship. Is it the finances, money, to finish school, or is it Jesus himself? We are all made to worship. And those who have been given the new identity of a royal priesthood, we need to focus our lives on worshiping Jesus. God, we thank you that you indeed have made us new, that you have called us and set us apart, not for ourselves, but for you, to bring you glory and honor in this world. God, I pray for us tonight that we would be known as people who truly worship you, that the deepest desires of our hearts wouldn't be created things, but it would be the creator, that it would be you. God, would, would we be faithful in being the priesthood that you have set apart to represent you to the world. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.